And welcome back to another edition of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. Of course, always alongside my always reliable co-host, Jonah Tolls. We have a lot of exciting topics for, for you guys to get to today, or of course for us to get to, to tell you guys about today. So I'm excited for today's show. This is one of my favorite shows of the week, just because of the topics that we get to. But of course, Jonah, I have to ask, we have a lot going on in the college football world, but how's everything going with you? Listen, man, we are two days away from one of the biggest college football matchups, regular season-wise, in the last decade, if not even more. The, the, the amount of stock riding on this Alabama-LSU game is so monumental, and I cannot wait for it. Jordan, of course, I'm doing great. Of course. I mean... Whenever you have a huge matchup like this, we very rarely get the number one team against the number two team in the country. And I say that because even though the college football playoff rankings don't indicate that, everyone seems to think these are the two best teams in the country right now, even though Ohio State really hasn't been tested a whole bunch for the most part, besides Wisconsin. And with the with the story history that LSU and Alabama have going against each other, Everyone is so intrigued by this matchup, but it seems to be a bit different this year just because LSU really isn't playing with one hand tied behind their back, and there's no secret that they really have, haven't have had an explosive offense in years past just because they've been more of a ground-and-pound type of team. But now things are really different this year just because both teams have a quarterback. We know Tua Tagovailoa, of course, from Alabama, but Joe Burrow from LSU has really come out of nowhere even though he did finish up strong in 2018. He wasn't a household name coming into the year like Tua was, but now he's firmly placed himself in that QB1 race alongside Tua. So that's something that we'll get into into the la- in the last segment of this show. But first, we want to continue on with some of the Senior Bowl invitations or exceptions, I, sh- I should say, that we saw. We saw some big names on the first day that we talked about in the last show, but there was a lot of small school names like Alex Taylor and Kinderville door and a whole Kyle Duggar who I'm a huge fan of from Lenore Ryan we saw some of those guys accept their invitations yesterday and we want to talk about some of the bigger names from the event that did accept their invitations though and some of the guys that will run down Bryson Hopkins Javon Kinlaw and also Brandon Ayuk those will be three guys we get to and then in the last segment of segment of course we'll talk about Alabama's offense against LSU's defense and for those of you that did not tune into last show we're going to break up the Alabama and LSU game into two segments into two shows I should say we're going to get to Alabama's offense against LSU's defense today and then on Friday's show we'll flip it we'll talk about LSU's offense against Alabama's defense just because there's so many matchups and so many draft prospects to talk about in this game we don't want you guys to feel rushed or anything like that. We want to make sure we give you a great and thorough breakdown going into the matchup on Saturday. So backing up a little bit, I want to talk about these Senior Bowl invitations. And I want to start first with Purdue tight end Bryson Hopkins. And there really hasn't been a guy that has risen to the top in this tight end class. It was Albert Okawibanam coming into the year. That was the name, the Missouri tight end that a lot of people talked about as the top tight end coming into the year, Jarek Pinckney. From Vanderbilt was another name that a lot of people talked about. He also accepted accepted his invitation uh, here yesterday as well. So those two really will be battling it out at the Senior Bowl. But Bryson Hopkins really is the one guy that really has risen to the top 
in this tight end class, even though it seems like a relatively weak class overall. We kind of were spoiled by the group last year with Noah Fan and TJ Hawkinson and Irv Smith, and the list goes on and on, and some of the guys in that class from last year. And we're still waiting for that one guy to rise to the top, and it seems like Hopkins is starting to separate himself a bit. He's my tight end one right now. I'm not exactly sure where you have him in your rankings, but just briefly touch on him and your overall thoughts on Hopkins. Yeah, Hopkins is my second tight end behind Pinckney, and it's going to be so great that we're going to get to see, I think, the top two tight ends in college football match up at the Senior Bowl and go head-to-head and kind of compare them side-by-side when we get in the film room over there. So it's going to be really interesting for scouts to see two top talents at the position, you know, kind of side-by-side comparison. I really like that. But in terms of just Bryce and Hopkins as a whole, He's not I, – I'm not going to disagree with anyone who has him as their top tight end because this guy has all the traits you look for in terms of physical profile, production. This guy really has it all, the, the incomplete skill set. I think this guy has excellent speed. He's a, he can test defenses vertically. He has nice hands. I, 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 I want to see him more of a blocker, but I think this is a guy that fits today's NFL tight end who can play more – who's basically more of a, just a big wide receiver. And I think Bryson Hopkins can be an immediate offensive threat at the next level. Um, but I'm really interested to see him and Pinkney side-by-side the Senior Bowl. And to me, that's what I'm looking forward to, I think, the most right now coming out of these Senior Bowl invitations. I really want to see how both of those guys compete in this event, just because last year the tight end group at the Senior Bowl really wasn't overly intriguing for the most part, and it kind of was a forgotten-about group. But that's definitely different this year with Bryson Hopkins, Jerry Pinkney. There's always going to be some other ones as well. Adam Troutman from Dayton is probably another Harrison one. Bryant from Florida Harrison Atlantic. Harrison Bryant from Florida Atlantic. Who was in my top 10 Absolutely. tight end rankings. And he's another guy that I think has a real chance to rise because he's a really good athlete. If you if he uh, plays Ohio State or Michigan or any of these other big schools, he's their starting tight end. And he's a much bigger uh, weapon in the passing game for those guys. Without he's really question. hidden at four. He's really hidden at Florida Atlantic and Lane Kiffin. You know, he's putting up good production over there because he plays in such a small school. Watch for him to rise in the pre-draft process, not just at the Senior Bowl, but also at the Combine. And I'm really glad that you brought him up just because I actually was watching him about two weeks ago, and he does everything that the tight end position is about. He's blocking in line. He's at the hip running routes. He's flexed out running routes, and also he's out on the perimeter blocking as well. So he is a do-it-all type of player for that Florida Atlantic offense. And that's something that's really going to help him moving on to the next level, just because sometimes well, with tight ends nowadays, either you're getting a receiving threat or you're getting a guy that's more of an inline blocker. But I think he's the best of both worlds. So he definitely is a name to keep an eye on. But just to give my honest opinion about Bryson Hopkins, I really worry about him as a blocker, but that that's not what you're drafting him for. You're drafting him for his receiving background and what he brings to the table as a pass catching threat. 6'5", 235 pounds, so he has that big frame that you're looking for, but he is supremely athletic. He can stretch the field, the middle of the field. That's really where he does most of his work, but also he can be a down-the-field threat as well, putting up some really good numbers this year as well. And I think the the senior bowl really is tailor-made for him to succeed because you're talking about the one-on-one portions, and that's really what everybody is going to be eyeing on and having a keen eye on with him just to see how well he does catch the ball. He's not going to block well for the most part. Everybody knows that, but – That's not really what a lot of people are paying attention to for the most part at the Senior Bowl. The one-on-ones, how he catches the ball, and if he's able to defeat those linebackers and safeties consistently, 
I think if he does that, I think he's going to position himself to be a first-round pick and take advantage of this lowly tight end class for the most part. And the next guy that we're going to get to, and this is another headliner name, is Javon Kinlaw, the defensive tackle from South Carolina. We're both huge fans of him. I love his story. I wrote an article about him a couple weeks ago on the Draft Network that really exploded. I was really happy to see that. Got a retweet from him. So, Javon, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. It's greatly appreciated. And his story is really incredible. And his type of stories are why we're in this business to do this. Just digging up the information about him and how he came up from being basically homeless uh, his high school experience wasn't the greatest. He didn't have the best role models in the world. He ended up having to go to a junior college in Mississippi. He went down there, did what he was supposed to do, stayed there for a year. Will Muschep found him, and he became a role model and a mentor towards him. And now we're seeing really him flourish in this three-technique role. And I just love his explosion. That's the first thing you notice about him. And he is just a pocket pusher, and he's a game wrecker. And that's what you love to see from that three-technique spot. And you talk about a guy that really has risen the most as as far as senior prospects go. I think he definitely is right up there at the top alongside a guy like Joe Burrow. I think those two guys definitely are probably the two most senior prospects that has helped their stock the most uh, so far this year. But I think he's going to help himself a lot at the senior bowl. But just touch on Ken Law briefly. Just what's your overall thoughts on him? And just where do you see his upside? Man, he is super, super explosive. And we talked about his upside on an earlier show. We talked about him and his parallels to Chiefs defensive lineman Chris Jones coming out of Mississippi State, where he's kind of this big guy who just dominates with his explosion and quick first step. This guy, he, he did, Chris Jones didn't have a great combine, but you can just see that explosion and disruption off the snap each time you turn on the tape. And that's the same way with Javon Kinlaw. Um, that this guy is, I think this guy's gonna be a stud in the NFL. And he has a real chance to really wreck the senior bowl in those one-on-ones. And if he does that, which I really expect him to, he, I think he's gonna be the, one of the best players there. If not the best player there, he, I think he's gonna be, he has a real chance to wreck that weekend just because of how dominant he is in one-on-ones. Now, I know one-on-ones for interior offensive linemen isn't necessarily a great look for them because, you know, it, it's not really, you know, simulating a real game situation. But Kinlaw, man, it, it just getting that visual of him, you know, consistently just whipping offensive lineman rep after rep after rep in those practices, that's going to go a long way for teams. And you talk about his backstory. I think he's going to crush the interview process. Yeah, I, I really believe there's a chance when we get to April, he could be a top 12 pick in this draft just because of what he does at the Senior Bowl the interview process, the whole pre-draft cycle, there's a real chance he's a top 12 to 15 pick in next year's draft just because of his physical profile and what he's going to do in the pre-draft process in terms of just dominating it. And I can feel your smile through this computer screen right now just because I know there's a team in Dallas, Texas that really could use Javon Kinlaw right in the middle Man, of their I, I just don't think he's going to make it. I, see, listen, dude, I, I am all about the optimism on Javon Kinlaw because I, I, he's truly one of my favorite players to watch in this draft class because he just consistently beats his guy across from him. And But I just don't think at the end of the day, it's one of those situations where we talk about a guy in January and then we get to April and it's like the draft stock has completely changed. And I think yeah. Kinlaw's draft stock is a – kind of like a mid to late first rounder 
is going to change into a top 15 lock once we get to April. I think he's going to have that good of a pre-draft cycle. And I think he has just that physical profile of what you look for in some of the elite NFL defensive linemen in today's NFL. He still has some kinks to work out in his game, but I think this is a guy that has everything you want in today's defensive tackle. And I think that because of that, he will go high in the draft. And I just don't – if Dallas wins the NFC East and goes to the playoffs like I expect them to, this is a team that I don't think he, that, that it's going to have a chance at Kinlaw once we get to April. And, that, you know, that may change, but I think in January, people say, oh, people will start mocking Kinlaw to Dallas. But in April, that will be completely far-fetched. I 110% agree with you. And I was just teasing that out there with you just because I know you've been an advocate of him and Derek Brown to the Cowboys. So I wanted to get your hopes up a little bit. But I think I'm an eternal optimist, Jordan. I'm an eternal <laughs> optimist. I think both of those guys are going to be long gone unless Dallas season just goes down the drain and they position themselves for a top 15 pick. But I don't see that happening. Uh, but on the subject of Javon Kinlaw, I think he's an exceptional player. Like I said, I love his background story. And the thing that you love about him most is that he's continuing to get better every single year. And then every team is looking for that three technique to just be a disruptor in the middle of the defense. And that's exactly what Javon Kinlaw brings to the table. 6'6", 310 pounds. He has that brute strength, brute strength that you're looking for in the middle of the defense. And also, like I said, he's just a pocket pusher and just – a team record, an offensive record. He's able to get that penetration consistently. But the biggest thing that you worry about with Ken Law is just the motor. And I think if he gets with a demanding pitch, uh, or manic, a demanding position coach, I should say, to get that motor out of him consistently, I think he'll be just fine. But I think without question, he's going to position himself to be a first-round selection just off of what he's shown this year for the most part. But before we move on to our last prospect that accepted his senior bowl invitation, which is Arizona State wide receiver Brandon Ayuk. I want to remind our listeners about DoorDash. You can treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off the first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code Locked On. Again, that's the DoorDash app, and you can enter the promo code Locked On. That's L-O-C-K-E-D. O-N. Make sure to go to the DoorDash app and their first order of $15 or more, you can get $5 off once you visit the DoorDash app and enter the promo code Locked On. So on the subject of Brandon Ayuk, a guy you've brought up a lot previously on this podcast, and I think some scouts are probably going to have a higher grade than the guy we saw go first round last year in the Kill Harry from the same exact school. I think Ayuk is definitely much more explosive than what Nikhil Harry showed to be. And I think his hands, are, his hands are much more consistent than what he showed as well. And he's another guy like Ken Law and also like Bryson Hopkins, who the senior ball really is tailor-made for just because he's very explosive. He can't create separation, which is something that he thrives upon. And in those one-on-one situations, I think he dominates. So just what's your overall thoughts on Ayuk? And do you think he can thrive at the senior ball and set himself up possibly to be a late day one or even an early day two selection? Man, I've been saying it and singing it from the rooftops since the preseason. <laughs> I love Brandon Ayuk, man. I, I think he's a stud. And I've said it before in my previous articles and previous publishes, I think he's a clone of Michael Gallup coming out of Colorado State. I think mm. when you look at his just physical profile, his size, his length, it's kind of like average. It doesn't really stand out to you in terms of just a physical profile. But when you look at how fast he is, how, how he's able to defeat man coverage before the route, 
at the catch point and then after the route with the ball in his hands. This guy really has a complete skill set, very similar to Michael Gallup with how explosive he is as a route runner. And then after the catch, this guy, I think 80% of his receiving yards comes after the catch. I don't even think that's an exaggeration. This guy is, I think, the best run-after-the-catch wide receiver in this draft class in terms of not just looking at his speed, but his physicality and his ability to just um, avoid contact. This guy is just incredible. I I think this guy has an immediate role to next level. And I I like him more than Nikhil Harry coming out last year. I know Nikhil Harry had all the hype and all the kind of publicity around him just because of how successful he was at Arizona State and how highly recruited and everything about him coming out of Arizona State was all the hype. But Ayuk quietly is a better prospect than him because I think he offers I think he offers you more as a receiver, as a complete receiver, not just as a not just a locked in as an X guy. I think Ayuk can play the X, he can play the Z, he can play the slot. I'm a big fan of Ayuk, and I cannot wait to see him in the one on ones because I think he has he, he could have a real chance to be you know to establish himself as one of those next guys behind Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs. LaVisca Chanel and C.D. Lamb. The, those guys are like top four or five guys consensus. And then I think he could be in that next range with Tyler Johnson and T. Higgins with a good senior bowl. And I think he could, he, he could honestly receive legit consideration in the late first round. And I think he has a legit shot to be a, a really good pro. And if you think about it, how we thought about Debo Samuel coming out of the Senior Bowl last year. I think that definitely could be a similar situation to what IU could be in exiting Mobile. Just because, like Hopkins and some of the other players that we have talked about, I think this event is really tailor-made to really to really suit his skill set for the most part. Just because he's a natural separator, has really good hands, and he's he's very competitive at the catch point, I like to say. And I think you're spot on with the Nikhil Harry comparison and just how much better and more advanced his game is as far as his versatility and how he's played, how he's able to play inside and out, which is something Nikhil Harry didn't do a whole bunch of. At Arizona State, he was more predominantly an X where he played on the boundary side for the most part. And we see Ayuk, he's playing in the slot, he's playing outside, and he's playing X and Z. So he's not just playing one side of the field or one singular position like Nikhil Harry did for the most part. So... I'm really interested to see exactly what happens with Ayuk, though, just because, like I said, he's one player that we could look back on this event and like, man, I'm mad I wasn't higher on him going into the year and throughout the season. But like you said, you are supremely high on him for the most part, and you were the one person that really pointed me in his direction, and I really liked his film after studying it a week ago. I liked what I saw as far as being a separator, which is something that I love to see in receivers, and I think that matters most at the receiver position. If you can't separate, I don't think you're going to be very successful in the NFL. So keep an eye on Brandon Ayuk. He's one player that we could be talking about exiting Mobile, definitely as a late day one or early day two selection, similar to a Debo Samuel or even a Terry McLaurin situation. We saw how well both of those guys have translated to the NFL so far. If you're able to separate, you are able to be very successful in the NFL. So once again, keep an eye on Brandon Ayuk. But before we move on, here's a quick word from our sponsors. All right, and we are back. And this is the segment that everybody has been waiting on. There's a big showdown this week. This weekend, I should say, on Saturday, 3.30 Eastern time between, of course, LSU and Alabama, the showdown in Tuscaloosa, the the SEC game that everybody looks forward to every year just because there's so much implications in this game. But 
This year, it is just so much different. You have Joe Burrow versus Tua Tagovailoa. And what we're going to get into with this segment is we're going to get into Alabama's offense against LSU's defense. There's a lot of individual battles that we're going to get into in this discussion. But first, we want to start off with Tua Tagovailoa. So everyone knows that I'm a huge fan of Tua, but I want to get your overall thoughts on Tua. Yeah, and I think, you know, and we've talked about Tua before. And Tua, to me, is is the safe bet if you're the number one, if you get the number one overall pick. So I think he just has every, other than just pure size, I think he has everything you look for. Arm talent, ball placement, poise in the pocket. Um, I, I think this, this guy has the intangibles you look for, the mental makeup. This guy's the real deal. And anyone, anyone kind of, you know, hesitating on Tua, I think he just needs to rewatch the tape and look how this guy operates in the pocket. And this guy just looks like an NFL quarterback. And, you know, I know we brought up, you know, Russell Wilson comparisons to Kyler Murray and, you know, and, and these guys. But I, I really do think Tua can have like a Russell Wilson kind of impact in the league, just with how good he is as a pocket passer. Uh, I think the one thing you got to worry about Tua is when he tries to play hero ball. I think the yeah. decision making can kind of little wane. I think he, he tries to force throws that I don't think Joe Burrow do, has, has done, you know, this year. I think that's really the clear difference between the two. But don't get me wrong, Tua is awesome. He's my second overall prospect. He has been since, since September. And this is a guy that I think, you know, has NFL-ready ball placement, NFL-ready arm talent, can improvise in and outside the pocket. I'm all in on Tua. And if I had the first overall pick, if I needed a quarterback, I had no problem taking Tua with, my, with, with that pick and becoming the franchise of my team. I'm with you. I'm a huge fan of Tua. He's still my QB1. He's my second overall prospect in this game. But just overall, what you're getting with Tua Tagovailoa, you're getting a guy that is supremely smart. And I think that's one of the best parts of his game. It's his awareness of the game, exactly what's going on, how he stays in control of that offense. And also, the best part of his game, though, is his accuracy. And something that you notice that's going around right now, I just think it's a huge misconception, is that he has a very strong supporting cast. Yes, he does. But there's a guy that is able to set them up to succeed. And that's exactly what Tua is doing for the most part. He's putting guys in position to succeed. He has very, very accurate passes that allows guys to get yards after the catch. So, yes, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, and also Devontae Smith. It is a very strong receiving core. But, of course, the guy that is setting them up to succeed the most is Tua and how he's able to just pinpoint those passes, those slant passes that everybody likes to say, and everybody's saying that he's not throwing the ball down the field a lot. And I say to that, why why try to do something if it's not broken or something like that? That's the that's the most famous saying. And what I say to that is keep throwing the slants. Nobody's stopping it. The RPO game is working for the most part. So why go away from it if it is working? Nobody has stopped it yet. And we're going to see it against LSU this weekend. Of course, LSU is going to have a game plan to try to stop it. But as far as what exactly is working for the Alabama offense is very RPO-oriented and very RPO-reliant in the short and intermediate areas that's getting these guys in position to win very quickly. And Tua is putting these guys, and he's putting the ball on the money, and these guys are just doing what they do after the catch. And I like to say that Tua is the mailman for the, for the most part. And what I mean by <laughs> the mailman is that he just puts the package on the door, and he doesn't really care what those guys do with it after, but he knows <laughs> that something good is going to happen for the most part. And that's exactly what you're getting with these four targets out there. He's just the mailman for the most part. He's making sure the package is on the door 
and he's letting those guys do what they do with that package after that. Right. And, and I, I just I absolutely love your nicknames that you give players, man. The, <laughs> the mailman. You call Joe Burrow the PGA golfer one episode. <laughs> like, I love these, man. These are awesome. Keep them coming. But, yeah, I, I love how you mentioned Tua's pinpoint accuracy because I think a lot of people will, will argue that, you know, Tua was carried by a supporting cast. And that's just a flawed argument because when you look at quarterbacks – you know, and when evaluating to the next level, uh, you look to see if they throw the receivers open, right? And I think that was a there's a clear difference between guys like Ryan Finley, who was I think sort of carried by his supporting cast at NC State, as opposed to a guy like Tua, who I think elevates his receiving core, like the Henry Ruggs, like the Jerry Judy, and Devonta Smith. That's not to say those guys aren't supremely talented because they are, but Tua is a quarterback that really elevates their play and puts that on, you know on a pedestal on the high, on the highest stage possible. So I think, I think people, you know, bring that argument about Tua. It's just really flawed. And I think this is a guy that really just throws those guys open. Definitely. And Tua is a guy that we're going to talk about a lot leading up to the draft process. And our, our fellow colleague, Kyle Krabs did a fantastic job on an article talking about how a lot of people are going to nitpick Tua from now to April, so go make sure to check that out on the Draft Network. It really is a fantastic article. I highly suggest reading that. But now that we've talked about Tua, of course I want to talk about his targets and the matchups that he is, that, that they are going against this week, I should say. And Henry Ruggs III, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddle, also Devontae Smith. Of course, we're going to focus on Smith, um, Judy, and Ruggs, for the most part, just because they are draft eligible, Waddle is not draft eligible, so I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time on him. But the other three I want to talk the most about, and the other guys that they're going against, and Fulton and Delpit, and also Derek Stingley as well. So this matchup, I think, is the one that everybody is looking forward to the most, just because these are the most highly sought after, highly sought after I should say, and highly rated draft prospects for the most part especially the Alabama wide receivers. And Stingley, of course, isn't draft eligible until 2022, I believe it is. He's only a true freshman, so later on down the road. But Christian Fulton and Grant Delpit are seen as first-round prospects right now as long as, alongside all of the other Alabama wide receivers as well. Outside of Devontae Smith, he's more of a day-two type of prospect. But Henry Ruggs III, of course, and Jerry Judy definitely are seen as early first-round selections. So I'm really intrigued by this matchup. So... I want to get your overall thoughts on that first before I chime in on it. Yeah, and this is so monumental for each of these players' draft stock because this is probably going to be the only game we go back to in scout on the All-22 and every single rep in the wide receiver cornerback battle matters. Like, every single rep. Like, like you're talking every single pass rep that worked because you got guys like Devontae Smith out there, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs. You got three legit, you know, top 100 picks on Alabama's receiving core. Then you have Grant Delpit and you know, Christian Fulton both on the field at the same time for LSU, along with Derek Stingley, who I think is, who we talked about last episode, is the best cornerback in the nation. So every rep is going to matter on this All-22. You're going to see the most consistent one-on-one matchups with these guys. So th- this tape is going to be, we're going to replay the tape of this wide receiver DB matchup for months after this game. And it's because of those matchups. I'd love to see Christian Fulton on Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, see him match up with that speed and Judy's nuance ability as a route runner. I'd love to. I think Christian Fulton is one of the most reliable and productive man-covered corners in this class. 
He's an excellent bump and run guy. He has the length and the physicality to really disrupt people to line of scrimmage, while also having the foot quickness to mirror and match as well in press coverage. So I'm really interested to see Fulton match up against Ruggs and Goody, and even Devontae Smith as well. Devontae Smith, can't forget about him. He really considers the third guy in the offense. This is a guy that has legit top 50 talent. And as you saw against Ole Miss, this guy had like 300 yards and five touchdowns. Yeah. So you can't forget about him. He could, he could be one of the true X factors in this game and true wild card. Um, so obviously Fulton's the draft eligible cornerback, but you, but in terms of the you know, flip sides and see the test for Judy and Ruggs, how they match up against Stingley, because I know Stingley's not draft eligible, but that would be a huge test for Judy, Ruggs, and Smith because Stingley, like we talked about, is the best cornerback, I think, in the country. So that would be a big test for them. And uh, we were talking about Fulton as well. But then you got Delpit in the back end, who I think is the best safety in the draft. And I think he has unlimited potential and coverage as a back end player. So it's going to be so interesting to see how if Alabama can, if these Alabama receivers can get over the top, they can beat these guys in man coverage one on one, and if Delpit can make a play or two deep against these guys who are really, you know, some of the best playmakers on all college football. So I am, this is the matchup of the year. The LSU uh, DBs versus the Alabama wide receivers. And next episode, we'll flip it and talk about the other side. But, man, this is going to be so fun to watch. It is. And I want to see exactly how Christian Fulton plays in this game. That's the one player I'm going to have circled just because I think he's had a valley of highs and lows for the most part. And he really struggles finding the ball in the air. And I think that's one area where he has struggled the most so far this year. And that's really a trait that is really hard to develop just because ball, ball skills and instincts are one area that's really kind of God-given in a sense. Either you have it or you don't. And it's something that's really hard to develop over time just because it's a natural feel for it. And that's something that he really has struggled with for the most part. And Delpit, how consistent is this tackling going to be in this game? Just because we know Alabama, they're going to run the air out the ball. That's just something that, they, that's something that their identity has always been, even though their passing attack really – is probably in elite status this year with how Tua is playing prior to his injury, but they're still going to run the ball with Najee Harris and Brian Robinson and some of the other backs that that they do have in that committee. So they're going to test Delpit as far as a run defender and run supporter and just how consistent he can tackle behind the line of scrimmage and just making him come up and feel. And that's something that he's going to have to prove to do consistently in this game or Alabama is just going to lean on their running game really to wear down this defensive front, and this just hasn't been the same LSU defense that we have seen or accustomed to in years past. They really just haven't done that, and it's been a combination of a lot of things, injuries, and then just some confusions and some, and some schemes, schematic things on the back end, and also the front seven. We've seen Michael Divinity leave the team for personal reasons, so there's going to be a huge hole in the middle of that defense as well, and we'll see how LSU does really combat his loss. So that really is a big loss, even though Divinity is seen more as a day three guy. He really was the leader of that defense, especially being in the heart of it, right in the middle, taking over for Devin White so far this year. But Alabama's wide receivers on the flip side, I want to see what Jerry Judy does in this game, just because his neighborhood or his domain really is the slot. So I want to see if Fulton or Stingley does transition to play him in the slot. Otherwise, whoever the nickel or roll down safety is, they're going to have to play a huge part in this game because Jerry Judy can break a game open at any moment, but you can't really focus on Judy a whole bunch just because they have so much speed on the outside with Henry Ruggs and also Devontae Smith, who's very known to get open and break one deep or even underneath and get some yak underneath to extend plays just like he did against Ole Miss when he had those 300-plus yards in that game and also five touchdowns. So 
that definitely is the most monumental matchup that everybody will have an eye on. But I want to get to the next matchup as well. And that's Kalevon Chason against the Alabama Tackles and Alex Leatherwood and also Jedrick Wills. Wills is a guy that's really surging up boards for the most part. We've seen him in a lot of big media guys' top 20. Even I know Dane Brugler from The Athletic, he had him already in his top 10. So he's already rising. He's already risen a bunch of boards already. So Jedrick Wills is definitely is a name that has or is sizzling right now in draft media circles, but we also have Alex Leatherwood, who is seen as a first-round selection, really in that second tier under Andrew Thomas and also Tristan Wirfs. And he's played guard for the most part up until this season where he did transition to left tackle. And it's really been a seamless transition for him. And Chason really is that left defensive end, so he's going to be going against wheels for the most part. But he, he seems to be a bit interchangeable with where they do place him, even though he does play on the left side predominantly. But either side he's on is going to be a fantastic matchup. So first, I want to get your thoughts on Chase on, and then we'll touch really quickly on Leatherwood and Wheels. Yeah, so we talked about we talked about this off the air. I think Chase on could be a first-round pick just based on what he shows in terms of his physical profile. This guy has the size, the length, the explosiveness, and he's a really flashy player in terms of when you watch the tape, he just pops, right? He has that explosiveness and dip around the edge, that fluidity in his hips, the ankle flexibility to really bend and dip and flatten to the quarterback. Um, he really has that volume sack potential at the next level if I think he can get stronger and use more, I, I guess, not to be as predictable as a rusher, but he really right now he's a one-trick pony, I think, in terms of just being a speed rusher. And But he's just really good at that one trick. And so if you're a good speed rusher, you're a good speed rusher. But I really want to see him incorporate some counter moves into there because he either wins just purely off his length with that long arm or he wins purely off his speed. He doesn't really have any in between there. So I really want to see him develop more moves on tape and really just kind of experiment different ideas, make him more unpredictable as a pass rusher. But he really has all the traits. I think he's in that next tier with guys like Gross Matos from uh, Penn State and like Alton Robinson, Syracuse, Julian Aquara, I think he's in that kind of tier in terms of being like a late first-round guy. Uh, but it's going to be really interesting to see him go against the two, the best tackle duo in the nation. You got, you got Jedrick Wills and Alex Leatherwood. You're going to see a lot of Cody Ford comparisons to Jedrick Wills just because he plays on the right, he's a right tackle, and this is a guy who might play guard at the next level. I, I, I think this is a guy that we're going to have to really watch. And you talked about earlier, this guy has really risen up draft boards recently. I think the media is starting to catch up with scouts on this guy. Um, this guy has the size. He's really uh, nimble on his feet for someone his size. And, he's, and when you look at him, you don't, you don't think the most athletic guy. And that's why I kind of think of Cody Ford in that way, because he's so big and so powerful. But he's really, you know, he, he has great footwork. And you're trying to think, you know, the potential and the upside of this guy I think he's clearly in that next tier of tackles behind Worfs and Thomas, as you mentioned. And Leatherwood, you talk about he played guard for most of his career at Alabama, and now he transitioned to left side when Jordan Williams left for the draft. And, man, he's been awesome. Both guys are in my top 15, and I think both guys are going to be first-round picks next April. This would be a great matchup to watch. We may not consistently see Chase on against, you know, one against Wills or Leatherwood, but we'll see a mix of the two, hopefully, and some good reps on both ends. I'm really excited about this matchup just because Chason, like you said, is more of a speedy type of edge rusher. 
but I want to see how he matches up against Leatherwood's power, just because that's really what Leatherwood really, his game is really centered upon the most, which is him using his strong hands and being able to move people at the point of attack. And Chason's run defense hasn't been the best in the world, but everyone knows you're not really drafting him for that for the most part. And he he's that speedy edge rusher that you love to see coming off the edge, and he hasn't lost any of his twitch coming off that torn ACL injury a year ago. So definitely keep an eye on that matchup. Jedrick Wills, he's a guy I definitely need to do a little bit more work on, even though I've only seen about four games of him so far. I like watching four to five games to get a really good feel for a guy exactly. And I've been focused on Leatherwood the most, but I really like what I have seen from Wills. But the first thing that you notice is, man, he moves people out the way. He has the hand power of a heavyweight boxer, and he's just tossing and ragdolling people all over the place. And that's what you love to see from an offensive lineman. He possesses that nasty mentality that you love to see from that position. So we'll see how he ends up doing against Chason and exactly where Chason does line up for the most of the game. And I think he's going to line up over Wills for the most part just because I think he matches up a little bit better against Wills as opposed to Leatherwood. But Ed Orgeron, we know he's going to draw up a really good plan for this game just because he is he's probably fired up for this game. I can't imagine how many cups of coffee he's had in the morning time leading up to this game. And like you said, man, everybody is so excited about this game. This is the game of the year by far so far. It's really number one versus number two in my eyes, just because this seems like the two best teams in the country, even though I have repeatedly said that Ohio State is, is the best team in the country right now. I think when we're looking up at the end of the college football playoff, these definitely could be the two teams in the country if Ohio State does slip up in a couple of weeks against Penn State. But – once again, that is our show. Hey, hold, course, hold, hold, hold on a second. Oh, okay. You're sorry, gonna, sorry. You're, sorry. Hey, you're not going to let me mention my boy, Jacob Phillips. Oh, I'm sorry. LSU. I and got let it. me tell you about him real quick. This is a guy that has been steady and consistent all year. I'll be really quick on this guy. But this is someone that I think has got a lot of draft hype because he's more of a junior underclassman kind of guy. But he can really – ball and i think this guy has legit traits 6'4 230 excellent speed and quickness sideline to sideline range he hasn't really had that breakout game this year he's just been really consistent that could change this weekend i think phillips is in, in for a big game especially with divinity out they're gonna have to rely a lot more on phillips to see a lot more snaps and this could be his breakout game in terms of the draft circles look for him to really rise after this game after he has a big performance against the crimson tide Especially with this being a weak linebacker class, really on paper for the most part. Once again, there really hasn't been a name that has rise to the top, even though Kenneth Murray seems to be that guy that everybody is really latching onto right now. And, of course, we can't forget about Dylan Moses, even though he seems to be kind of forgotten about since the torn ACL prior to the season opener against Duke. But like you said, Jacob Phillips is definitely a name that could rise to the top. And this is the type of game that he needs to get on the map just because He's not a headliner. He's not a headliner name right now in that LSU defense. But after this game, if he is able to fly all over the field, make some tackles for loss, and maybe get a turnover or two, he definitely could put his name on the map. But I'm glad that you brought him up. He's another guy that I definitely need to do some more work on, just because there's so many guys in this game, and there's going to be a guy that probably comes out of nowhere that were like, "Man, why didn't we talk about this guy more leading up to this game?" So. Definitely keep an eye on this LSU and Alabama matchup. I'm sure everybody is going to be slumped on their couch checking this matchup out. But hopefully that brief, or I should say brief, that was a very thorough breakdown of the Alabama offense against the LSU defense 
you're ready for two sides of the ball. And now on Friday, we're going to flip it to the other two sides with LSU's offense and Alabama's defense. So make sure to tune in that for Friday's show. But thank you guys for listening to the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed. He is Jonah Tools. And, of course, we are going to continue to give you action-packed football coverage from all 22 angles. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and also follow the podcast on Twitter at LockedOnCFB. Once again, that's LockedOnCFB on Twitter. Thank you guys for listening. We will see you tomorrow.